Hi, friends. You are listening to the Lessons from Dead Guys podcast, a work of exile liturgy in collaboration with TheologyCorner.net. My name is Ryan Cagle, and I cannot tell you how excited I am for this episode. This is our first actual episode of the Advent season. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the show, I do my best to structure the content around the liturgical year slash church year, um, following the major seasons, themes, and holy days of the church year, like Advent, uh, Ash Wednesday, or Epiphany, Ash Wednesday, Lent, um, Easter, and Good Friday, just all the different um, things that make up the church year. I try to structure the content of Exile Liturgy and my, my, the things I publish and the, this podcast around that. And today is the first day of Advent, or better understood as the first day of the Christian year, our New Year's, so to speak. A few things about the church year. It stands in contrast to the standard mode of, uh, of time, how we keep time. It is designed to, to orbit around the story of Jesus, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's about making time holy by marking the days and seasons with events and moments in the life, life of Christ. Um, it's the sacred rhythm that has developed over, over the centuries within the church to help us uh, become submerged into the narrative of the life of Christ and bring us to a place of seeing how deeply steeped all of time and creation are in the incarnation of God. Um, and so, and, and moving on, Advent is, if you're not familiar with Advent, um, it's the season that marks the beginning of the church year, like I briefly mentioned before. Uh, it's the time during the liturgical year that we spend in preparation for Christmas, because Christmas doesn't start until Christmas Day, and it lasts for 12 days, Christmas tide, traditionally anyway. Uh, but we live in a world that likes to start playing Christmas music before the Halloween decorations are even off the shelves. So Advent is, among many things, um, a call to slow down. A time to prepare, hope, long, and look towards the coming of God. It's a time that we are given to look for God, to search for God, to wait for God, and honestly to get pissed off when God has yet to show up in the brokenness of our lives. Advent is a time of anticipation, pain, and birth. It is a time that, that calls us out of our slumber to be fully awake uh, to the suffering and injustice in the world around us. It is a time when we are told to keep vigil lest we are caught off guard by the coming of God. Advent is about the darkness of the world and the coming of the great light. Advent is about wronging or about wrongs being made right. And it's about the hung, those that are hungry for justice being filled. It's about sitting in the darkness of the world and, and waiting. Advent is apocalyptic. It's about the unveiling of all that has been hidden and the righting of all that has been wronged. Advent looks back to the first advent, to, the, to when Christ was incarnated in, in Mary and into the world in flesh and blood. And it looks forward to the day that Christ will return. But we live in the time between times. And more on that here shortly. So the season of Advent, it typically lasts three and four weeks and is marked by the colors purple, pink, and white, and sometimes blue in various iterations of, of observance. Um, each Sunday through season, uh, there's four Sundays in the season of Advent, and they carry a particular theme, uh, which are usually hope, peace, joy, and love. This Advent, uh, we are going to be journeying with one of the most influential path rites of my faith. Uh, you've heard me talk about him before, if you're familiar with the show. Um, he's... I just, in the ways that he's transformed my faith, my understanding, and, and uh, been a, such an influence on my spirituality, I, I could talk for days on. So uh, this, this path, right, this, this person I think um, is fantastic. I think he's a saint. He's definitely a mystic, and many people would call him a heretic. It's Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Uh, Teilhard was a Jesuit priest and a paleontologist. Uh, he was a part of the team who discovered Peking Man. Um, he melded his, his faith and his love for science seamlessly. He carried this hopeful vision of the future that was just 
life-giving to me. And he, like I said, he had no problem synthesizing the richness of his faith with the, with the natural sciences. And he thought that science was one of the many ways for us to understand the vastness of God's work and love in the world. Terod was truly a mystic, if there ever was one, and he held to a vision of God that saw the divine working in and through all things to raise up creation to new life. God was not some far-off reality to him. God was present in everything, um, and not in a pantheistic way, but in a panentheistic way. Um, and so his works were almost uh, something about Terod. The reason I said he was considered a heretic by many is his works were almost all posted after his death, and this was because the Catholic Church had not allowed him to publish hardly any of his work. Uh, the ones that did get published were very scientific, and they were still very uneasy about those things. Um, and it was due to the controversy that he brought and that his understanding and his viewpoint brought because really he was a, a man ahead of his time. Um, he he supported, I mean, he was a paleontologist, okay? He, he helped discover and and do all these discoveries and be a part of these um, scientific expeditions that furthered our understanding of the theory of evolution. Um, so you have this Jesuit priest who's also supporting evolution, has this intense devotion to the faith and to the Catholic Church. And um, he was seen as a threat. Many in the Catholic Church didn't know what to do with him. Many of the people outside the church, realm of the church didn't know what to do with him. The church silenced him and to some extent exiled him in hopes of keeping him busy enough with his, his, his project, so to speak, um, for him to have little influence on those outside of the church or even in the church. And, and those people that existed outside of the church and in the scientific community were just as perplexed as the Catholic church um, because he remained so devoted to a church and a faith that silenced him, that kept him from speaking up about his views of God and keeping him from speaking out about the, the sciences and, and things like that. So you had people on the inside of the church and the outside of the church that just did not know what to do with him. Um, he was a very perplexing man. Um, and just brilliant, I might add. And there'll be links to some of his works uh, that you can check out that I that have been the most influential to me or most accessible that I've really enjoyed uh, in the show notes, of course. So Teilhard, his work came to me um, when I first began deconstructing, deconstructing kind of my faith. And um, strange story, he actually, my friend Jack, uh, told me about Teilhard while we were at a local wrestling match. And I know I'm not talking about like high school, like Olympic style Greco-Roman wrestling. I'm talking about like WCW hitting with um, metal chairs and jumping off the top rope kind of wrestling. But imagine that local Alabama backwoods and all the amazingness that can come to mind is probably true. Uh, And so we were there somehow in some kind of brought together by this wrestling match in conversation about faith and science. And he brought it to and he was like, man, you have to check out Teilhard. And so I did. And it flipped my world. Um, because the thing is, to back up, I had believed in evolution since I was, since I, before I came to the faith. I, and I use that word believed very lightly because I don't think you believe in evolution. I don't believe um, that, you know, in evolution as if it's some faith based matter. I don't believe that the earth orbits the sun. I don't believe that the earth is a sphere or, you know, all these things. So when I say believe in evolution, I don't, I don't use that with the typical religious connotations. And so I believe, you know, I, in my mind, when I first came to faith, evolution had no issue with my faith. I just, I couldn't see how those things were contrary. Um, but eventually I found out that I was in a minority, especially in the backwoods of Alabama. And, um, so I allowed, that stance to kind of fade into the back. And not only did I allow my support for science to fade into the back, but I jumped full force onto Ken Ham's ARC 
encounter Answers in Genesis boat, right? And if you're all freaking ham and Answers in Genesis, that is not a dig at you. But it was a, there was a reactionary moment in my life where I said, well, if I can't, I have to hide this part of me. So I became the very, I became the very type of person that was doing the, you know, making people who didn't, who believed in science, like feel belittled or, or whatever. And of course, not all people that are friends uh, or believe in a literal six day creation or don't support, you know, evolution or whatever that way. But I jumped full force into it. And so before Teilhard, I really had no way to bridge my love and understanding of the observable, observable sciences with my faith. I'd yet to experience anyone that could teach me how to reconcile those two things together. I, I knew that I believed in science, you know, like I, I supported the theories of evolution and, and all these things. And I was fascinated by them. I was fascinated by biology and science and how the world works and how, how everything functions together the way that it does and how we, the views we have from science with that. But I had never been given any kind of theology that said that those can coexist with my faith in Christ. And so Teilhard was my first introduction to that. Um, he was the first person that taught me how to reconcile the two. And, and, and so, like I said, I, I had found myself in a camp that said, you know, evolution, you know, was a botched theory. It was the work of the devil. And, you know, that Genesis chapters one through three were a literal historical fact. And if you didn't believe that, then you were going to go to hell. And so Teilhard, as you may can imagine, was a breath of fresh air. He taught me again to not be afraid to be myself. Uh, he helped me to, um, reject, the, the idea that I had to hide parts of myself to be accepted by God. And uh, most importantly, the thing he taught me was to be able to see God as a masterful artist, one who works patiently and lovingly in creating and sculpting this art, rather than someone who ha- just has infinite power, who just snaps reality into existence, like it's some kind of second thought or just, you know, just some, you know, side project or something. And so Teilhard, he paints this picture of God as creator who is patiently, lovingly sculpting the world and sculpting creation and drawing it forward, drawing it closer and closer to his heart and to his love. Um, and so Teilhard was just captivating to me. And like I said, a breath of fresh air. And I could talk about Teilhard every episode of this podcast for a year. I could do a whole I could do a whole another podcast just on Teilhard for like years probably because I have so much material and so many so many different things that his life has have acted or things in his life and his work have acted to, as catalysts for my faith and trans and just absolutely transformational. And so, but this episode, like I said, it's it's not about Teilhard. Teilhard is here with us. We're journeying with him. We're journeying down the places that he tread um, in the paths that he walked, of course. But this this is about Advent. This is about the expectation of the coming of God. This is about preparing for Christmas, preparing for birth. And Teilhard, he often uses this metaphor of birth in his work. And it has made an absolute lasting impact on me ever since I first encountered it. One of my favorite quotes from Teilhard really embodies this whole the whole theme of Advent for me in the whole season. And it also embodies the, the devotional I wrote and the vision I hoped, the hopeful, expectant vision of a better world that I hope to be able to pass down to my two sons. And this quote is this. He says, There is something afoot in the universe, something that looks like gestation and birth. And then in another place, he goes on and he says, Personally, I stick to my idea that we are watching the birth more than the death of a world. And those are two simple lines, right? Those those are literally a drop in the ocean of Teilhard's work. But those two, those two quotes, they shook me to my core. And they left me that way. 
because so much of the theology I've been handed, um, whether that be, you know, actual theology about the end of the world, eschatology, you know, the world was going to burn, a hellfire is going to, you know, is going to hell in a handbasket, and God was going to, you know, just trash creation because it was inherently evil. You know, there's a lot of, you know, where hum- humanity is inherently evil, creation is inherently evil, material world is inherently evil, which in retrospect is really just a rebirth of, of various streams of Gnosticism into the church uh, through by way of um, Western dispensationalism and all, all of that goodness. You know, um, you know Darby and, and Left Behind and Tim LaHaye and all, all that good stuff, right? Uh, and so, but these two quotes just offered a completely radically different view of the world for me. And uh, like I said, they shifted my thinking and they challenged me to reframe the way I saw the world and the way I saw hope and the way uh, that I believe that God works and functions in the world. And so these two uh, quotes kind of frame the whole season of Advent for me. I, and when I first encountered these quotes, and as I was thinking about this, this season of the show, I, I was just dreaming it up, and I just knew for Advent, I, I couldn't get away from Teilhard. I could not get away from his concept of birth and his hopeful expectation of a world made right, that, that Christ being born into the world through us and through the church, and, and whatever, you know, of course, I think his, he referred to it, to it as the Omega. And um, I'm not going to get into that in this episode, um, but he believed that all of history, all of time, all of creation, evolution was put going towards this one moment, this omega, when God would be all in all, and all things would be made right. And so I don't, it's very apocalyptic, it's very advent, it's looking towards the future, but in the same way, there's this call for us to live. As I said earlier, we live in the time between the times, we live between the first advent and the second advent, and whatever nature that second takes place is is really irrelevant for the discussion at the moment, but we live between those, those, the times, and these two thoughts help frame that together for me. And all I can think about when I first encountered these phrases or these quotes was how different would our world be if the church universal held to such a hopeful vision of the future? That instead of looking at the world as if it's just perpetually and endlessly getting worse, which I might add, um, the numbers argue completely against that mindset, just on a completely non-spiritual sense. Um, But how much better would the world be if we held to this vision of birth instead of death? that God was coming into being in the world around us, that we were being reborn again and again and again, and, and not only us, but the world. And, and so how much better would the world be if we held to this hopeful vision of the future? And to be the people of the resurrection, we sure do seem to be more expectant of death than anything else, especially here in Americanized and maybe Westernized Christianity. I can't really speak for the rest of the world. I can only talk about the places that I come from. But we seem to be such a culture obsessed with the end of the world, obsessed with Armageddon and the apocalypse. And so much of our theology in the church is based around this idea that the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket. But the incarnation undermines all such views. The incarnation calls us to a higher view of not only the material world, but one that looks at the future and believes that it is going to unfold in the advent of God that is hopeful, a hopeful future. So the, the incarnation undermines all these views that creation is bad and that humans are inherently evil and that we are literally on this steady decline to the ninth layer of the abyss, right? Um, and so the incarnation undermines all of that. God took on flesh because flesh is good. God came into the world because the world is good and he will come into the world again in whatever way and by whatever nature. But God has always been coming to 
creation and chiefly in the incarnation of Christ. And so Advent offers us this counter-narrative. And, and it offers us this chance to abandon a punitive and wrathful distortion of the gospel that says Christ will come and bathe in the blood of his enemies. And Advent is a time for us to reclaim an expectant hope of a world made right, not a future where God trashes the creation and starts over, but where God, the master artist, comes and sculpts and makes new all that is broken. And so, you know, people think, oh, we're going to get a new heaven and new earth. Well, there's a difference um, in, in the way the language is in the scriptures and what the early church held to and what we're called to than thinking like, you know, if my car breaks down, I just carry it to the dump and I go buy a new car. That's not, that's not what it, the scriptures mean when it says we're going to receive a new heavens and a new earth. It, it's more, more like when my car's broken down and it's been sitting in my yard for years and it's rusty and it is deteriorating and it's falling apart and I began to patiently work with it to restore it. So God is patiently working with creation to restore it, but not only restore it, but to raise it to new places, to new heights, to new, to new levels of his love that we have yet to even be able to consciously experience. So God is this masterful artist who restores and renews. He doesn't trash and doesn't throw away his work. He doesn't rip the canvas and throw it into the fire. He reworks it. He rewrotes the sculpture. Even, even if the sculpture falls apart and is, and is broken, he reworks it. And so we have a world. Um, that is oftentimes full of injustice, pain, hardships, and brokenness, and death. Death can be so rampant, it seems. And how are we supposed to reconcile those things with a hopeful vision of the future, I guess? And that, that's probably the biggest question um, that I still have these days is I sometimes, and Advent is a reminder that it's okay to ask this, but sometimes when I turn on the news and I see that this mosque has been blown up and 237 people have died, or I, I see that this person shot up this place and killed four people, the first thing I think is, God, where the hell are you? And I think that phrase embodies so much of what Advent is about. Where the hell are you, God? And it's okay to ask that. And, and it's okay to have that expectant hope. It's okay to hold God accountable, so to speak. And Advent is, is a time for us to do that. To, rend, to, to, to ask God to rend the heavens to show up in these situations. Because injustice and hardship and pain, all of these things are still happening despite the fact that you're carrying us, that God is carrying us to um, or calling us to this hope. Because see, hope is not blind optimism. It's not wishful thinking. It is looking at the brokenness in the world and saying that something beautiful will come out of this. That what has been wronged will be made right. That is hope. And if we can get a hold of that expectant hope, we can see that hope not only come and heal our hearts and our lives, but we can see that hope become incarnated in the world around us, through us. To the world around us. We can see Christ born again to our neighbors and to our friends and to that cashier at McDonald's and to that, that lady in Walmart who pissed us off because she got smart with us about something or, or whatever, or that person, that coworker that we can't stand. We can have this expectant hope that can incarnate the, that hope into the world around us. And the thing is, is that this, this metaphor of birth, you know, all this injustice, hardship, it's there, right? But this metaphor of birth does not mean that life, that it's just easy peasy, that, you know, like pixie farts and gumdrops or, or whatever, that birth, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced birth. If you're a, you're a woman, my God, I praise you. <laughs> if you've given birth in any form or fashion, uh, in any measure, my gosh, awesome. That's, I, there's no way. Uh, I've, and if you've not ever experienced uh, or witnessed a birth, Nothing about it is easy. 
is terrifying. Birth is messy. It's bloody. It's, it's a swirling paradox of all kinds of emotions because you're hopeful, expectant, you're uncertain, you have peace, you have fear. And even me, these are things I'm feeling as I'm just standing there wondering what in the world am I supposed to do in this situation as my wife you know, gives birth to our children. And so there's all kinds of things involved in birth. And so, but if we can shift from a mindset of death and move to a mindset of birth, how much better will our world be? And Advent is a challenge for that. It's a challenge for us to see that we're in growing pains, that creation groans, all of creation groans for the coming of God and the revealing of the sons of God. And we can join with them in that groaning during this Advent season. We can join in them with those birth pains and shifting to a perspective that says that God is coming, that the darkness will not always be darkness and when broken will not, what's broken will not always be broken. And so there's that, like I said, there's expectancy, there's a fear, there's peace, there's uncertainty. It's all of these contradictions all just bundled up together uh, into one. But if we can grab a hold of that expectant hope, then we, we can be a part of bringing life into the world. And not only can we experience birth, but we can, see birth, we can see the birth of the world into the fullness of God's glory. And it's going to be no different than, than birth now. It's going to be no different than our experiences of birth now. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. It's not always going to be pleasant. Teilhard, he goes on um, in Hymn of the Universe, and he says something um, about the incarnation that I just found so profound. And so, you know, we've been talking about, he, he just, at a fundamental level, he believed that there was something going on in the depths of the universe, in the depths of us, and it was the Spirit of God moving us, moving all of creation, the whole universe, um, towards this omega, towards this, this place of fullness in God, and God being full in us. And so, we, like I said, we, we're, Advent is a call to hope, right? It's a call for us um, to hold on to that hope and incarnate that hope into the world and enflesh it and put, put flesh and bone to that hope in the world. It, it, it's a call for us to be the people that say death does not have the final word. That we are, are that entropy does not have the final say so in the universe. And so Tara goes on, he talks about the incarnation. And he's, he's talking to Jesus and he's praying to God or whatever in, the, in this prayer in the hymn of the universe. And he says, in the guise of a tiny baby in its mother's arms, obeying the great laws of birth and infancy, you came, Lord Jesus, to dwell in my infant soul. And then as you reenacted in me and in so doing, extended the range of your growth through the church. That that same humanity, which was once born and dwelt in Palestine, began now to spread out gradually everywhere like an iridescent iridescence of unnumbered hues through which without destroying anything your presence penetrated and endued with super vitality every other presence about me and all this took place because in in a universe which it was disclosing itself to me as structurally convergent you by right of the resurrection had assumed the dominating position of an all-inclusive center in which everything is gathered together and so some of that is really wordy if you're not very familiar with Teilhard, some of it can kind of be a little out there. But he starts off, he says, you know, Christ, you came. You, he, Christ submitted to the laws of birth and infancy. The God gave himself over to frailty to dwell not only in the womb of Mary, but to dwell in our infant soul. To come and not only be born into Mary, but to be born into us and be born into the rest of the world. And um, Teilhard, he says, you know, that God, he reenacted in me. He, he re processed that birth within within himself. 
And so that God could be made all in all. And he says that, you know, through the church, uh, the same humanity which was once born and dwell in Palestine began now to spread out gradually everywhere like an iridescence of unnumbered hues. Um, Tara's got this poetic, he just mixes, you know, a poetic flow with prose so well. But he talks about how now God is being born through the church into the world. And all I can think about is just that, God, we are the body, right? We are the body of Christ. And, and Advent is a time for us to realize that we are the body and that on this earth, Christ has no body but ours. And so he, 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 he talks about the incarnation this way, that you know it is in the incarnation that God was birthed through the flesh and blood of Mary. God gave himself to creation through infancy, and the law, giving himself over to the laws of birth and infancy. God clothed God's self with frailties so that he so that God could be born anew and not only uh, not only could be born into Mary but could be born into the hearts of all mankind and not only into all of mankind but that God could be born into all of creation this advent we sit with Mary during the final weeks of her pregnancy during that last trimester during that those last moments of uncertainty and darkness and um in expectant hope that what the angels spoke is true that it will be God with us that what comes from this birth through this pain frustration through this fear through all the messiness of this life will be God with us we look forward in expectant expectancy to the coming of God so that in our hearts and lives hope may be incarnated into the world And so that's my challenge for you this week is just for you to really think about your view of the world, your view of the future, and are you really expecting God to show up? Do you live with that expectant hope? Not a blind optimism, not a kind of a doctrinal belief that you get to check off the list, but do you live with a a tangible hope in the world around you that says this world will be made right one way or the other and that we have an active role to play? Um, and so Advent, it's it's such a challenging season. It's my favorite season of the church year. I think um, I flip, I guess, between it and Lent, which seems pretty typical for someone, I guess, who's never been very liturgically minded or grew up in a liturgical setting who's become liturgically minded and is now finds himself in a liturgical setting. Um, maybe that's cliche. I don't know. But Advent is this time um, for us to wait and to look and to search and to hope against all hope that God will show up. And so I just want you to think about that this week. Um, if you've got the devotional, um, if, you, if you've got, I've made this devotional, it's called Birth. If you've signed up for Signpost, you've got free access to it. If you're listening to this and you hadn't even heard about the devotional, um, there'll still be a link. It won't be too late. If you'll sign up um, in the next couple days, I'll get that email to you. Uh, and maybe you can play catch up on those days because I want as many people to get it and benefit hopefully from it. I've poured a lot of time in it. And so my hope is that through uh, the season of Advent, we will all journey together and that we will continue together um, in seeing God birth in our world around us and in claiming that hope, that expectant hope that says the world will be made right and that God will not leave us as orphans. If you get a chance, I move the wild paths. If you don't know what that is, it's kind of an online digital space for those wondering, I guess, for those that are familiar with the podcast or, or want to be connected with other people of different um, 
iterations or, or streams of the Christian tradition. I've, there's a group on Facebook. There'll be links in the show notes for that. You can join. I would love to have you come and um, on, into that group and, and bring uh, whatever it is, the, your particular church traditions and your particular perspectives into the Christian faith to the table and, and create a community, um, an ecumenical community that builds each other up in the big, you know, in, in the fullness of God, uh, despite our different denominational backgrounds or whatever. And so, again, the Advent devotional, you can find a link to that here in the, uh, the sign-up in the show notes. And you can sign up, and if you do, I will get that to you as quickly as I can. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Thanks to everyone who recently left reviews on iTunes. I really cannot tell you how important those reviews are, um, how they help us get the word out, how they make it make us more visible for people um, to hopefully be, I don't know, impacted by this work. Um, Again, if just thank you so much for that, and I hope uh, that your first day of Advent has uh, been unsettling, and been challenging, and been a day of recalibration for your view of the world. And um, grace and peace to you, friends. Until next time, there'll be another episode every Sunday. There'll be an episode every single Sunday through the Advent season. And so, um, I guess until next week. <laughs>